Hello, and happy you're back with us on this Wednesday. So this week, we're replaying installments from our favorite series of 2023, a hard look at how so many lives have been affected this year, whether we know it or not, through real estate. We're talking about home ownership to your downtown office space. This very tumultuous time has impacted families, neighborhoods, entire cities. And of all the parts of the series, this was the wildest to report on because it sent us to the big easy. So without further ado, here's the show. This is how most tourists experience New Orleans. Are you here as like a big group or something? We just, yeah, we just came and been here for my birthday. Uh, it's my family. There were six of us. We're going on a cruise. Going tonight. on a cruise. And increasingly, this is where they stay. So, hotel or Airbnb? What do you do? Airbnb. Airbnb. All day long. Airbnb. Really? Yes. Which makes sense. While the famed French Quarter is the home of jazz and dance clubs and beads being thrown from balconies, it's the residential neighborhoods nearby that had the real flavor. They become tourist hotspots in themselves. Okay, we stay in Airbnbs because Airbnbs should have more privacy. Hotels should don't. It feels more at home and not as stuffy, and it's not like it's a Hilton or something that you've been to before. You just feel like you're more part of the culture there. In fact, whenever I've gone to New Orleans in recent years, I do the same thing. It's just two blocks away. Okay. It's right up there. Okay. My producer Kelly and I are staying in a condo just outside the historic French Quarter. It's like a hotel suite, except it's also got its own kitchen, multiple bedrooms. You feel like you could just live here. And that is why rentals like these have become so controversial in New Orleans. I am priced out of the place that I love the most. It's not my job to provide you a cheap place to live. This council has a moral obligation to protect the people of the city from these predators. Rich people are abusing what I use to help pay for my cost of living. In the parlance of city planners and tech corporations, these are called short-term rentals. For the rest of this episode, you're going to hear people say STRs. That's what they're talking about, short-term rentals, a place that looks like a home but serves as a hotel. In some cities, they've been welcomed. In others, they've been demonized. I do not understand how 11 STRs are able to exist in a square block where an an entire tent city of working poor continues to grow. But in a country seeing a shortage in affordable housing, officials are having to make bold, sometimes drastic decisions on how to deal with them. And here, these decisions are pitting neighbor against neighbor. Are you supported by the Hilton or Marriott? Have you looked at your thing? It's part two of our series, Priced Out, Renting. Okay. How do we check in? So as you roll up to our Airbnb, you'd have no idea this is a place where you can rent rooms. It's just an unmarked entrance, code to get in. Ah, it works. Ah. But once you get the gate open, you've got access to an iconic NOLA experience. Well, then we gotta go up these stairs. I think we might be at the very top. (laughs) (laughs) I'm starting to remember those uh, angled ceiling (laughs) photos. Oh no. Views of the famed St. Louis Cathedral, Jackson Square. You're just down the street from Lafitte's blacksmith shop, the oldest structure used as a bar in the U.S. And you've got a home base for all of it. Okay, what have we gotten ourselves into? Oh yeah, we're in the... Oh, here we are. Oh. Oh. How cute. 
Now, it's pretty clear that this building is owned by a company, which makes sense. It's got like a dozen units. But like much of America, most urban rental properties are smaller ones, regular houses. There's like a loft. There's a kitchen. And after we've had some beignets, we make our way to meet some of the people who run them. Hi, Hi. how you doing? Hi. I'm Brad. Scott. Hey, and Scott. This is, uh, Jeb. And Jeb, nice to meet you. How are you? Jeb Lowe and Scott Peterson live in a cute house with bright blue and green trim on a block of brightly colored homes. Everywhere you look, it's pinks and yellows and purples. They live in what's known as a shotgun house. A shotgun house means that it's got a, you can stand at the front door and see all the way through to the back of the house. There's like a, a either a hallway or just doors that open all the way through to the back of the house. So theoretically, you could shoot, shoot a shotgun all the way through it which means all the rooms are progressive. You go through one room to get to another room. And this is a super common type of home that's authentic to New Orleans. You see them all over the place, these single-story setups, except for this variation, which is called a camelback house. An extra space on top forms a hump. This was added later, probably maybe even in the 1900s. Um, they added this extra little apartment up here, and I'm not sure if they had it intended for people to live here or if it was just made for a mother-in-law or something like that, because it is very tiny. Um, the reason this architecture is important is it means many New Orleans houses, with all of their extra spaces and standalone entrances, are uniquely well-suited to be rented. You live on your side of the property and then rent out the rest. And like many Camelback homeowners, Jeb and Scott have listed their place on Airbnb. Describe what I'm looking at here. It's just chaos. Um, <laughs> we kind of, I wanted to create a- Eclectic, it's eclectic. It's eclectic. I wanted to create a space where people would enjoy it for three days, I mean, three or four days. I mean, nobody really wants to live in a space that's got this much going on. When you walk through it, it's like the perfect space for a weekend visitor. It's one bedroom, nice little kitchen. It's a 15-minute walk to the quarter, and Jeb has decorated it with this incredible kind of Mardi Gras cast a spell on you vibe. They're here to have a good time, and I wanted a, a space that reflects people that are having a good time. How many clocks are on the shelves here? I don't know, like 20. 35 of them. About 35 clocks. Uh, it's like going to a little mini museum. And so uh, when you're here for three days, it's kind of fun to look at the different things. More than a dozen paintings here with skulls. Uh, and voodoo. It's the, our place is called Voodoo Villa, and so we've kind of got uh, the voodoo theme going on. This voodoo theme is no accident. It's not just significant in New Orleans. It's especially significant in this neighborhood. Jeb and Scott's house is in the neighborhood of Treme. You might have heard of this neighborhood. There was an HBO show with the same name. It's regarded as the oldest black neighborhood in America. It was home to free people of color who had originally come from Africa and Haiti. The voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, is buried a few blocks away. This is known as the birthplace of jazz. When we first got here, it was, I mean, there were only like four houses occupied. And Jeb and Scott are white. They're from Minnesota, and in the wake of the devastation of Hurricane Katrina, they're one of many, many newcomers who came into New Orleans, specifically Treme, and bought dilapidated, abandoned homes. This was a chance for them to make a new life in a city they loved, in a neighborhood they felt they could contribute to. After we moved in, all the walls came down, um, and everything had to be from, you could see all the way through the house from the outside. We preserved everything we possibly could. If it wasn't rotten by uh, termite damage, we saved it, preserving what the, the place looked like uh, two, three hundred years ago. They love the architecture of this neighborhood. When they bought this place 10 years ago, it cost $90,000. Well, then they put three times that into repairs. They drained their 401k to restore this house to its original glory. Um, so now you're looking at a quarter million dollars. Yeah, yes, mm -hmm. or, or it was actually over that by that point. 
Um, and that was without doing stuff like the roof, which we later had to do. Um. They figured they'd rent their little mother-in-law space to a local. But then they realized this was kind of small, kind of cramped, better for a weekend stay. So they listed the space on rental sites. And when you poke your head outside, you realize how many of these brightly colored houses are doing the exact same thing. The green house, the purple house, and the yellow house, they're all owned by... At one point, it was owned by the same guy. Um, and now with the new rules, they've been maneuvering things around. Um, the Grey House, uh, they do uh, bachelor parties and family reunions uh, um, probably about three times a month. Uh. Wait, so I was going to say, so wait, so just on this street that we are on right now. There's one, two, three, three four, here. five, six, seven. At one time, they were like eight or nine. Wow, out of probably 14. 14 houses. Yeah. This neighborhood of Treme has become perhaps the most extreme example of what has happened in lots of American cities. Entire blocks of homes completely transformed by the short-term rental economy. And that's why in New Orleans, it's become such a lightning rod. So this is like a neighborhood of like brightly colored homes that there was. All of New Orleans was brightly colored homes, but now it's getting whiter in a lot of ways. This is A.J. McIntosh. She also lives in Treme, and she lives in a house that is positively fluorescent. She calls her home Barbie pink. The house was pinkish before, but, you know, wanted to go full girly for this. She has no intention of renting any part of her house like she suspects her neighbors have done. All right, so this is an Airbnb. Is an Airbnb? Yeah. It's like little sort of red red house with these like very brand new shutters. How do you know? How do you know that it's an Airbnb and how do you know that it's hosting stuff? So it's just a steady stream of people with suitcases in and out of Ubers all week long, uh, looking lo really lost, looking really disappointed that like... <laughs> oh, being like, this is an actual neighborhood, ugh. Yeah, with like brown people, gross, so unsafe, that kind of thing. AJ is a proud New Orleanian. She's even wearing a New Orleans Saints dress when we meet up with her. Her family has lived in this area for centuries. Who's in the corner next to that skull bottle? Great-grandfather. All her mustache. Yeah, she has their pictures proudly displayed all over the house. It is a privilege that most people of color don't have, um, that I can trace my ancestry on like father and mother's sides back hundreds of years. And like the people who grew up here and like survived Katrina usually don't have family photos. She actually moved away post Katrina before returning. So in some ways, she's part of this home buying revolution as well. When I was trying to buy a house, it was very clear to me that the people I was in competition with were not had no plans to ever live in any of those houses. Oh, like you were looking for a place to buy to live in. Yeah. Other people were looking for a place to buy to rent out to others. Yes. As she shows us around her home, you see the pride she takes in the resourcefulness of the people who built this community. A shotgun house and actually lots of the housing here on the Gulf Coast is based on West African architecture. So it's all about like making use of breezes and limiting sun exposure um, and also like using local materials like which is kind of what drives her nuts as she walks us around her neighborhood. She knows this is not a perfect place. Nowhere is. She points out a nearby overpass where a tent city has sprung up underneath. She vaguely references drug deals nearby. But 
she also sees this land becoming more valuable and turning into kind of a blank slate for land speculators. If you just look, look at the difference, one looks like it belongs here and one looks like it was just air dropped in from L.A. And I wonder who they think it appeals to. Someone not from here. So like someone who's coming in from either coast who thinks that $300,000 is a deal. Whereas like my house pre-Katrina sold for $30,000. And that's what makes the change to this neighborhood so tectonic. She says it's even less of a racial issue than an economic one. If a bunch of people moved in making New Orleans wages, spending New Orleans money, it would matter less if they were black, white, whatever. But these lots are being bought up by wealthy out-of-staters and even by real estate conglomerates who smell cheap deals and profits to be made. So up until several years ago, New Orleans was trying to do what lots of cities were doing, hope that Airbnb and VRBO and all these companies would just go away. Short-term rentals were technically banned, but there wasn't a ton of enforcement, no one taking down the listings. They are supercharging our housing crisis, increasing eviction rates, and pushing people of color in particular out of our city. I am opposed to the full house Airbnb where there's no one there, there's no one present. I did not buy my home to be the sheriff. And this is the time period when out-of-towners are buying up lot after lot. I just want to be able to let them be able to put a head on a pillow. They're already in my neighborhood. That's how New Orleans becomes New Orleans. People coming here. And I would hope that this council will understand that sometimes by having too much regulation, it implies to visitors that maybe this is not a place to live. This is a city council meeting from 2019, when the city council finally passed a law saying at the very least, you have to live in your house to rent to tourists. No, hiring a cleaning service to clean up between visitors while you list it from afar. Seven yeas, no nays. So we lack affordable housing in New Orleans, and even housing that was previously affordable is not. New Orleans is not a wealthy community for the most part. Um, Most people make minimum wage. Leslie Harris is a New Orleans City Council member. She sat down with us in her office, and she pointed out how disparate the housing market is in this country from one city to another. Affordability in the city is $1,000 a month, which in you know big cities like New York doesn't seem like a lot, but in a poor community like New Orleans, it is. And those housing costs have risen, I think, by 33% um, since the pandemic started. This, she says, is where things have really gotten out of whack. Because if you're a landlord, who would you rather rent to? A regular tenant who lives in your place all year round, who creates wear and tear, who pushes the plumbing and electric bills to their limit, all while haggling for a lower rate, or... Or some visitor who's spending most of their time out of the house, happy to plunk down a thousand bucks for the week. I mean, the neighborhood that I live in, which was a you know traditionally black neighborhood, I have neighbors who have been pushed out by their landlords in favor of short-term rentals. So you're seeing displacement, especially of black families in my district. But then something happened. That rule limiting rentals to locals who live on site, like Jeb and Scott, it was challenged in court. They ultimately took it to the Federal Fifth Circuit. The Federal Fifth Circuit struck down the homestead exemption and said... And why? Uh, on the, based on the Dormant Commerce Clause, this is where my law school comes please, into play. Please help, <laughs> please help me understand this. Yeah. So the Dormant Commerce Clause means that you cannot discriminate against somebody who's coming out of state to do commerce in, in your state. So, right? so I can't have a Mississippi vendor 
come in and give preference to a Louisiana vendor. I have to treat them both the same. So All of a sudden, this big plan to limit short-term rentals to just the so-called local mom-and-pop owners is falling apart. So earlier this year, the city council tried something extraordinary. It came back to us as a city council to craft new short-term rental laws, specifically in residential neighborhoods. What we came up with was a compromise, but what we thought were good and that complied with the court order, which was this. We would have a density limit of one per square, meaning a uh, city square. So four, you think of four streets, a square. But like a city block. Not a block, a square. She's saying, imagine your house is on a square block, right? It doesn't just include the houses on either side of you. It would also include the houses that go down the street next to you, behind yours. All the houses you could reach without crossing the street. At the four corners, so one per square. If there were more than one current operating or wanting to operate on a square that you would have to enter into a lottery um, so that your name would literally be picked out of a hat so you could get the one license that exists. That's right. New Orleans instituted a lottery so that only one house per city square was allowed to serve as a short-term rental. If you're the only house on your block doing this, fine. If you're not, put your name in the hat. So. Next, we will see how these solutions are playing out. We're back after a quick break. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more, or I'd read a book, or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours, but the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? It can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor, you know the type, like I've had this person before, that doesn't actually listen to you or who seems just in a rush to end your appointment that you spent months making. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. So, no compromises here, because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free, then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc.com slash start here. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. 
We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. like, can anybody turn on Miss Rachel? In a neighborhood of New Orleans known as St. Rock, a couple miles from the French Quarter, we're with Grace Lewis, whose very cute one-year-old is playing on the sofa. Hello. Yeah. Grace and her family live in a double shotgun. So you remember how a shotgun apartment is a simple setup, front to back, you pass by each room through one hallway. A double shotgun is two of those, next door to each other, two separate front doors, two separate stoops. Perfect if you want to rent out half of it. She moved in in 2021. We lived here, and we lived in the seventh ward, um, and we had been looking for a double to do exactly what we're doing. So our plan was to buy a double, uh, Airbnb half of it, live in the other half, um, and that would help us pay our mortgage so that we could have a baby. Grace is not overly wealthy. She and her husband own a small pedicab business where they drive tourists around town, or even more often, around music festivals, places where you can't pick up an Uber. There's no company health insurance for Grace. And then the day my daughter was born, it's wild, was the day that we got approved for our licensing. Um, So we didn't have to wait our full year because the homestead exemption got thrown out. She had narrowly avoided being told, you haven't lived here long enough to rent out your place. So then she was shocked to be suddenly told, there's about to be a lottery to determine whether or not you can keep listing your place. So in every block square, there's only one. So if you live on a block square and there are four other people that also have residential short-term rentals, then all four of you, or five of you in that case, would have gone into a lottery. And whoever won first place gets the lottery ticket in perpetuity. They win. There was already another short-term rental on her block. Now there could only be one. And so in August, she watched a live stream as her fate was decided. Reference code GJ15CC, bingo ball number one. They do bing- actual bingo ball. They do bingo balls. They tell you, they told us what number bingo ball we were. And then there was a little, uh, <laughs> it looked like a school project. So I actually watched it with uh, some other residential short-term friends that I met. Uh, from all of the different council meetings we went to. Uh, We went and sat and had cocktails together, and actually we all lost. The winner of that square is B2. In their defense, it's the better way than first come, first serve. The city did create kind of a second chance application, but now that's on hold. The lottery results are on hold because remember that lawsuit about out-of-state landlords? Well, another lawsuit was filed about this lottery. And just a few months ago, a judge issued a temporary restraining order on all of them as he considers them all at once. Everything about this system is in limbo. I'm not trying to make Airbnb my business. I got to ask that question. They're like, is this your business? I'm like, no, I don't really think of it as my business. I think of this as like my way to have affordable housing. Grace does not see renting out your house as some kind of luxury. We've been talking about how difficult it is in this country to become a homeowner. Well, from her perspective, this is her housing affordability plan. How important to your finances is, like, being able to rent the other part of your house right now? Oh, it's exceptionally important, (laughs) finances. It would be, I have, I think, like, four months in savings, and then I'd have to solve solve some other kind of problem. Um, My... (laughs) Mortgage started out at $1,400, and then it went up to $1,800 last year because that's how much my homeowner's insurance went up. 
And then I just got a notice of non-renewal due to geographical location. And this was the extra frustrating part for these homeowners we spoke to. After Katrina, New Orleans was begging people to buy homes and revitalize the neighborhoods. The state was offering financial incentives. Now, because of what these last few years have done to the city, the costs of owning a home are skyrocketing. Property taxes are up. Flood insurance rates are up. It's more expensive than ever to own these homes. And she's being told the whole financial plan she had crafted to afford this is no longer allowed. From her perspective, she's being lumped in with big real estate companies. I think everyone is getting angrier and angrier by the day because you you put so much effort and time and thought into doing this. And then all of a sudden they're like, ha, but it destabilizes everything. Like, ideally, I would be trying to get pregnant right now. That's on hold. Why are you making me cry? (laughs) Yeah. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, this is ludicrous. This is America. Homeowners should be able to rent their homes however they want to whomever they want. Airbnb did not respond to our request for comment, nor did a couple of top trade groups that represent the interests of STR owners. But since Airbnb is mentioned so much here, I should say that in the past, they've described their customers as having a positive impact on communities. They've touted data scraping tools that allow city enforcers to comb potentially illegal listings, if those cities have the funds to do so. And some research has argued that a lot of these extra rooms would never be used by local tenants anyway. Well, some of the neighbors of these properties would like a word. So we're going to go take a look at a bunch of different examples of the different ways that you see uh, loopholes exploited. We're in the car with Mark Shetler. He manages a bar nearby, and he's the head of a nonprofit called Shift Change. Whether these new rules go into effect or not, Mark has made it his personal mission to report the people violating the existing ones. Places that have got fines piling up for years, they don't care, they continue to operate. Uh, Entire blocks where you might have one resident left over. We're going to go and see the proof of, you know, what that displacement really looks like and how that actually affects the lives, the livelihoods of the people who are here. All right, let's let's go. Remember how A.J. McIntosh told us she was pretty sure that place a couple houses down from hers was a short term rental? That's the first home Mark takes us to. This is the house, four bedroom, three bath, 3,200, sold for all of this. This is what it is now, sun-filled luxury oasis near the French Quarter, five bedroom. This is crazy, too, because on the outside, it looks like a piece of So that seems like super cute, and and near French Quarter, so as a tourist, you're like, looks great. Yeah, great. Sold. Uh, It's actually, yeah, and then uh, here is all of the um, regulatory actions against them. So you can track, you, you can track just this address that AJ saw this house and was like, seems like a short term rental to me. And you're tracking now on a government site. Like, yeah, they've had like, complaints from neighbors. I mean, you can just go to NOLA.gov, STR. You say report a problem. I can show you all this, but this is literally the page. And then right over here, you can put in a name, a permit number, an address. Mark describes how cities have been trying to kind of reverse engineer a way to keep their residential neighborhoods residential while not imposing too many restrictions on their commercial districts. As a result, it's perfectly legal to take an apartment building on a commercially zoned block and flip it into short-term housing. That's your business. This courtyard right here, this gate that we're looking at that goes between these two buildings, this opens up into a courtyard that has a whole bunch of apartments into it. This whole area on the other side of his essentially functions as a hotel. 
The problem, Mark says, is regular people live in commercial districts all the time. Just because your home was built between a restaurant and an accountant's office doesn't mean it can't be housing. But increasingly, he says, real estate companies are snapping up these properties to flip them into weekend rentals. And their long-term tenants now need to find a new place to live. I'm so tired of hearing about uh, uh, people who have had to leave or even, you know, people like myself and many others who can't afford to buy a home here. Like, I don't want to leave. But like, I'm 37. My partner and I together make really good money and we can't buy a house here. Mark's not alone in thinking this way. He's taken us to an evening gathering of like-minded neighbors. What started off as a business where you could rent out the side of your house and have a little side hustle is now a full-time business. How many times did we hear in the hearings, I was able to quit my job and now all I do is my short-term rentals. You have people that buy up, it's my retirement plan. I'm buying up these, why are you changing the rules on me? Well, rules changed all the time. In the last several years, neighborhood groups like this have sprouted up more. They show up to city council meetings, holding signs that read, homes for tenants, not tourists. Homes for teachers, not for tourists. Homes for brass bands, not bachelorette parties. This one I love. Homes for line cooks, not for loud parties. Demanding more restrictions on short-term rentals. Alan Johnson lives in the Marigny, which sits right next to the French Quarter. The house next to me with my neighbor is now a whole house STR. The brick and post across the street from me, which is a classic type of Creole architect, all STRs. That house on the front, on the corner. So I'm one block outside the French Quarter, and my entire block, except for a few of us, is short-term rentals, and they're, they're illegal in multiple de- multitude of ways. Most of them started noticing this between five and 10 years ago. More and more packs of people getting dropped off in Ubers, coming in with their roller suitcases, followed by portable speakers and beer kegs. They often arrive on a Thursday, then by Sunday, they're gone. For the next several days, neighbors say, these areas are ghost towns. During the week, it's eerily quiet. What happens is, once the regulations change and these short-term rentals are no longer viable in residential neighborhoods, the people who lived in the neighborhood, the people who were born in the neighborhood, can't afford to buy these houses. They can't afford them anymore. Because it's it's, it's artificially inflated the price. Amy Stelly has lived in Treme her whole life, and she says she's seen neighbors around her slowly getting priced out. Forget about renters. She's talking about homeowners who have their houses free and clear. And when you think of gentrification, you might think of your neighborhood getting a little bit more yuppie, a bit more expensive, but perhaps safer, too, a higher standard of living. Amy says it's the opposite. A common perception might just be like, yeah, so there's more people wandering down the street with suitcases. Like, so what? There are very tangible effects. Um, So, you know, the eyes on the street, they aren't there anymore. Uh, You know, we miss the little old ladies who would peer out of their doors at 3 o'clock. We don't have that anymore. You don't have that where the houses are vacant. You know, this is a city that has a lot of gun violence. So instead of having the old ladies peer out of the door at 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, we may have gun battles on the street when children are coming home. And that's because... People don't know one another anymore. She says it's actually getting more dangerous. And in a city where the homicide rate surged in 2022, residents here are very nervous about friendly faces moving away. 
They all agree that the biggest problems are caused by absent owners, big conglomerates buying huge tracts of land. But after five years of rules that haven't worked, they say, it's not even enough to limit the rentals with a lottery. They want a simpler, more draconian solution. Here's Aaron Holmes, another longtime neighborhood advocate. We've tried six ways from Sunday to figure out the right balance to to make sure that the small operators can still, you know, get their retirement funds. But at the end of the day, it's mostly led by incredibly deep investment pockets. The industry will not self-regulate all of the conversations that they've had with the platforms with Airbnb about removing listings. It just it doesn't work. And the city continues to get sued by people that want to have no regulation that we're at a point that there is not a right solution other than getting rid of them altogether. It's time to end listings on Airbnb and VRBO, they said. Make these illegal in the city of New Orleans, which is further than Mark, the bar manager, wants to go. He wants to be fine with someone renting their personal space however they see fit. But as he drove us home from this meeting, he stopped by his old apartment. Um, So you want to go to my old place? Yes. Let's go to that hood. I want to pull up the listing and see how nice it is now because it was a POS when I lived there. He's just learned that his old living space, the one he had to leave while improvements were being made, has been turned into a short-term rental. Uh, Yeah, they put us out, they kept my security deposit, and then come to find out that once they renovated the left side of it that we lived in, they put the whole thing on, uh, listed it on Airbnb, on short-term rental. You just found that out today? Just found that out today. And Mark is stunned. He keeps talking about this the whole drive home, how this was the last apartment he ever had where he could walk to work. He can't believe it now because he's in the future. He knows he has to drive to work now. The people he needs to hire to work at his bar, they have to drive to work too, maybe take an unreliable bus line. Real service workers, the people who actually make the city run, they can't afford to live in a place like this anymore. There are fewer options when booking a room for your stay here in New York City. City officials are now enforcing a rule cracking down on short-term rentals. Earlier this year, New York City, facing its own housing crisis, passed a new law saying if you want to list your home on a website like Airbnb, you now have to physically be on the property with your guests. No more renting out your place while you head out of town for a week. The idea, officials said, was to discourage people from buying up property and then making it available solely to out-of-towners. You want to rent out your space? That's fine, they said. Just rent it for more than 30 days to someone who lives here. Here in Bed-Stuy, this neighborhood has the highest concentration of home shares in the city. The question now, will the owners turn their units into long-term rentals? New Orleans also has a rule that someone's got to be on site while someone's renting your house. If not the owner, an operator who can take responsibility for it. Well, recently, a plot of land opened up that came to kind of symbolize to every player involved how these properties have taken on a life of their own. Tell me about the Brown's Dairy site. Yeah, so Brown's Dairy used to be a dairy in the middle of the city. And uh, it went on a business probably four years ago. This is Councilwoman Leslie Harris again. The property was sold to a group of developers. Those developers, and this is before I was in office, attempted to come up with an affordable housing complex on that site. That site's a big site. I don't know the acreage, but it takes up uh, 
basically a neighborhood. Under a plan that was touted by the city council, half of this site would turn into affordable housing, where not only could a longtime resident own a piece of property, but these places were large enough where you could legally rent half of it to somebody else. And it kind of ticked all these boxes, right? Housing affordability crisis? Check. A local service worker could rent one of these from a neighbor at a decent price. Building generational wealth? Well, for these new landowners, this was a way to do it. But after a few months, developers said these just couldn't be profitable. They sold the lots to another company that specializes in, wait for it, short-term rentals. They eventually turned the entire portion of the Browns Dairy site into a village of, I think, 50, 52 short-term rental residences that are three stories high, that all have private pools, hmm. that... We are getting complaints about trash and noise. They're basically bro pads. Huh. It's Sunday afternoon, okay. and I've driven over to what used to be Brown's Dairy. And while the restrictions on residential neighborhoods are in legal limbo, this is still zoned commercial. Everything here is up and running. That sounds like a Sunday barbecue happening in the back or a Sunday porch party. After touring all these brightly colored homes, learning about double shotgun houses and West African architecture and camelbacks and voodoo priestesses, these houses are all shades of brown and gray. And all the colors here are beige. <laughs> these are all just different shades of beige. The house numbers are all in what AJ over in Treme calls a gentrifier's font. Black Helvetica numbers sticking out of identical porch columns. Because this is a commercially zoned property, there are no limits on how many of these rentals can be on one block. This says owner license number and operator license number. Bedroom limit, five. Guest occupancy limit, ten. Each of them had their official registration documents in their front window. The owner is an LLC, and the operator is one person, is the same person for all these houses on this block. The Saints are playing today. You can hear the game on TVs. People are having backyard parties. And in each of these driveways are cars with out-of-state plates, except one that belongs to a cleaning crew, a house where the guests have already left for the weekend. New ones will come in on Thursday. Just down the street is the freeway that leads to the Superdome. Underneath the overpass, are dozens of tents filled with people who right now can only dream of finding a place to rent. That's not to say those folks would be living in these new builds if the prices were lower, but New Orleans has this habit of taking everything this country is, all of its beauties and challenges and contradictions, and turning them up to 11. These concerns about housing, residents say, are coming to a city near you if they haven't already. That'll do it for us today. Again, I highly recommend you share this standalone episode with your friends who might be interested in this kind of reporting. We will be back with part three tomorrow. I'm Brad Milkey. See you then. Mm-hmm.